Okay, be turning your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to pick up there. We uh, close out, not last week, last week we were in the park, but the week before, at the end of uh, chapter 4, we're going to pick up here chapter 5. Some of the same thought from what we were covering in chapter 4 is going to flow right on through. But the, uh, the title for the day is, Be Very Careful How You Live. And that's actually taken from verse 15. Uh, but... Uh, we're going to use that as our title for the whole uh, lesson today. Be very careful how you live. We're going to talk about our daily life. We're going to talk about our family life. And we're going to talk about our, our life in the workplace. Most of us, uh, we, we're in the workplace. Some of us are still in school. Uh, and uh, if uh, for you, it wouldn't be the workplace. It'd be school. But uh, daily life, family life, and uh, where we're at in the workplace. Now, at the end of chapter 4, verse 32, remember, it says, Be Kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So his, his thought here is that you need to treat each other like God treated each and every one of you. So we flow right then into chapter 5 verse 1. He says be imitators of God. So you see how it's the same thought? Be like God to each other. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as in Christ, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so he's, he's been going through talking about things that we need to make sure we don't have in our life. And I'm referring a little bit back to chapter 4, just to get our minds back to where we were. Go back to uh, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building us up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Spirit of God with whom you are sealed from the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. So he's talking about things we need to make sure in our daily life that they aren't there. He says these are are activities, these are attitudes, these are ways that people can treat each other that should not be the way God's people should be acting toward one another. And then he, he makes that comment about being kind and compassionate. Be like God. That occurs right into chapter 5 then. He says, you know, here's how to think of it. Just be imitators of God. Try to be like God. All of us at one time or another have tried to imitate somebody in something, right? Yeah, right. And then we look at them and we say, okay, that's how they do it. Uh, that's how I'm going to try to do it. Sometimes people do that with the way they, they dress. Sometimes by the way they uh, do a certain activity. Uh, sometimes the way they uh, uh, cook, even. I remember the story I heard years and years ago about the guy who got married. And he was very curious to see how his wife was going to cook. And he noticed that one day that, that they were going to have pot roast. And she cut the pot roast in two. And uh, he asked his wife, he said, why did you do that? And she said, I don't know, that's the way my mother did it. You know, and that's the way a lot of times we learn things, right? Somebody else did it. He was very curious to find out from, his grand, uh, from her mother, this must be a real you know, thing, you know. Uh, why do you cut the pot roast in two? And she said, because I didn't have a pan big enough for the whole pot roast. 
<laughs> so, so sometimes, sometimes we imitate behavior and we think we're really getting something neat and, and really insightful, and sometimes it's a little disappointment. But we, 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 all know, we all know the idea of imitating. But he's talking about what not to have in your life, and he's, he comes right back to that now. He says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or a greedy person, such a man is an idolater, as an inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, he's also going to mention one other thing down in verse uh, 18. Let's go ahead and look at that right now. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So he's he's got a, a certain list of things here that he says... On your daily life, in your daily life, I don't want you to live this way. This is not how God's people should live. He uses two descriptions there, which I think are very interesting. He says, um, he says in verse three, they're improper, and then he says in verse four that they're out of place. In other words, these are ways that people in the world around us might be living. They're ways that before a person became a Christian, that may be the way that they were living. For he, he comes back to that in, in, uh, in verse 8. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, I know that's how you used to be, but you should be different now. Now, these are the things he says. He says, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, for those of you that are single, that are dating, that ought to give you a, a very clear understanding of what is proper for God's people in this area of their life. There shouldn't even be a hint, is what he says. In other words, if something seems like it isn't right, it probably isn't. You know, a lot of times what happens in teen ministries or campus ministries is something that when I was in that, that age of my life and leading those ministries, I tried to get away from. And sometimes a teen ministry or a campus ministry has rule this, rule that, rule. And it's almost like you have a rule book of, of how to date or a rule book of how do you interact with people uh, in, uh, uh, you know, the other sex that you're getting to know and maybe even having a romantic uh, involvement with. I try not to have that in the ministries that I lead. I want to have a bunch of rules. Because if you have people that understand the principle of things, you don't need rules. Paul doesn't give the nine rules here of how to have a pure dating relationship. He just says there shouldn't be a hint of anything that's immoral. So if, if there's anything that's a hint, then, you know, hey, we're going the wrong direction. In other words, if you have to have the minister give you the rules on some things, guys, you've missed the principle. The principle should be what you have decided to live by. You understand what I'm saying? Not the rules that the leadership gives you. 
Leadership shouldn't be giving you a bunch of rules. You should have the principles down, which are the principles from God's Word, and then the, the rules, you make the rules then. For you. You're like, hey, I don't want to go there because that's not how God wants me to live. So not even a hint of, of sexual morality. Any kind of impurity. Greed. Huh. Now, you know, greed doesn't get a lot of airtime. But, uh, you know, uh, greed. Don't, don't be greedy. You know, a lot of people are greedy sometimes uh, about things in their life. Don't be greedy, you know. Uh, uh, obscenity. The things that we say. Foolish talk. Coarse joking. And then, of course, I, I made reference then in verse 18 of, of drunkenness. He mentions that also. These are improper. They're out of place for how God's people should live. This is just sort of how we live on a daily basis. If you understand what I'm saying. He says, but rather... Thanksgiving. Now, we have used the word Thanksgiving in our culture to designate a certain day of Thanksgiving, right? Was it the last uh, last Thursday of uh, November? Is that it? The, the way that we do it, I think. And so the day can change a little bit. But we call that, well, that's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, though, is not, in, in this context, uh, a day is what he's saying. But rather, we should be thankful and happy. Is a general sense. Have you ever known someone that you look at them and almost always they seem to be unhappy? They seem to be bothered about something on a fairly regular basis. Got kind of a scowl on their face. And if you say, hey, what are you unhappy about? Oh, nothing. I'm really happy. It'll be like, well, you need to inform your face. Apparently your face... (laughs) Your your face didn't get the memo here on that one. uh, Because you certainly don't look happy. I bet every one of us have done this. Have you ever looked in the mirror and, and smiled to say, well, I wonder what I look like when I smile? Uh, you know, I, and some of us, we need to work on our smile, maybe, you know, to be a little bit more happy and that kind of thing. He's saying in a general overall sense, our daily life should be thankful and happy. Now that, that's a good way to look at life, isn't it? Our daily perspective is what do I need to do today? How do I need to act today? Well, I need to be thankful and I need to be happy as I look at my life. And you know what? If you want to look at your life and find the negative things, you can do it. But if you want to look at your life and find the things that you can be thankful for and be happy about, then you'll find them as well. You know, you might say, well, you know, I'd, be, I'd be happy if my husband would be a better husband. We're actually going to talk about husbands and wives a little bit later. I'd be happy if my husband were a better husband. Uh, you know, you might be happier, but you should be happy you have a husband. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't have a husband. They say, well, I'd be happy if I had one. You know? Uh, and and, and you, you may say, you know, that may be true, but I know a lot of women that have a husband and they're not happy about him. So, you know, the, the, so the thing is, we need to be happy about our life and what our life is and what our life has become. Or what, you know, I'd be happy if I had more money. I know a lot of people have money and they're not happy. So I don't think just having money is necessarily going to make you happy. If you understand what I'm saying. Or I'd be happy if I were a better athlete. I'd be happy if I were smarter. I'd be happy if I, if I were taller. Or, you know, all those kind of things. And, and the answer to that is, maybe, probably not. <laughs> is, is the way you've got to look at it. 
I should make a decision. You should make a decision. Every day of our life, I need to be thankful and I need to be happy. As, as I look uh, at my life. Now, he uh, in, in uh, verse 8, uh, coming on down to verse uh, 14 there, he talks once again about, he said, I know that's the way people are in the world. You used to be that way when you were in darkness. He says, but now you're light in the Lord or you're living a different life. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. That's what we're talking about. Christian people, life should not happen to them. They should think about it. There should be an intention here. Not as unwise, but as wise. Here is a really awesome, incredible thing about understanding the will of God. You and I cannot change, really, our aptitude to learn. Some of us have a tremendous aptitude to learn. Really smart people. We have in our audience here some really, really smart people. You can't really change your aptitude to learn, but you can change your wisdom level. You can become a wiser person. You may not really become a smarter person. And for those of us who didn't really get trigonometry, that's okay, really. You know what? You can, you can live a well-rounded, full life and not know the sine, cosine, or tangent of anything. <laughs> and that's wonderful for a lot of us. We just say hallelujah. You know what? And, 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 and when you write a text, some of your syntax may not exactly be right. I get such a kick sometimes when we be in meetings of, of the elders and evangelists of the church and we're writing a letter for something or something like that and, and everybody is making all their, their oh no, I, I don't think that's the right syntax and, 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 uh, and all the words, I think a better word here, all that. You know what, during all those conversations I'm saying? Nothing. <laughs> I'm not even sure I remember what a syntax is. <laughs> But you know what? I don't care, really. You can live a full life and not know what a syntax is. Or a syntax. Sometimes politicians use that. That's a syntax. Uh, on alcohol or, you know, tobacco or whatever. Okay. You didn't get that one. That's Larry. Larry got it. He's a smart guy. Uh, but you can become more wise. By reading the Scriptures, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the ages, you can become a wiser person. And, and really, friends, at the end of the day, wisdom is, is, is way more important than, than academic ability. Becoming a person that really looks at life and knows how to make wise choices in their life. So don't live as a stupid person, he's saying, basically. <laughs> Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. We all have so many opportunities in our life. Learn to make the most of those opportunities. Do not be foolish. That, that's a good one. Some of you for underliners. You know, don't be foolish. The Bible actually tells you, don't do that. Don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be a person of spirit. A person of enthusiasm. 
Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, for in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another then out of reverence for Christ. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Let's talk about our singing here for a few minutes. Psalms. What are psalms? They're Old Testament songs, right? We have a whole book of psalms. Uh, Tell me a psalm that we sing in our church services. Sanctuary, okay. What, 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 What another one? Come on, you song leaders, some of you guys. Peter, Larry. Come on, Larry, I said you're a smart guy. Come on with something. Chris, you have one? The Lord bless you and keep. The Lord bless you and keep you. Uh-huh. His love endures forever. How about Psalm 23? The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. Okay. Whatever. Okay. It's singing. It's singing Scripture. That's a psalm. Okay. What's an example? We have an example, even this morning, of a hymn and a spiritual song. What hymn did we sing? To God be the glory. Okay, what spiritual song did we sing? Sign me up. Okay, sign me up. It's a spiritual song. It's a lighthearted song. It's a sign me up, you know, for the Christian Jubilee. Hey, you know, I mean, really? Is there, is there, really, is there a Christian Jubilee? I didn't know there was one. Uh... It's a light-hearted song. A hymn is more uh, reverent and and, and, uh, churchy or whatever, uh, if if you know what I'm saying. A psalm is actually Scripture put to music. He says, sing to one another. And I want to challenge some of you guys, because I do every once in a while look around at how we are doing in our singing. And a lot of times people, they they treat the song service as if it's a... uh, a, uh, a performance, you know, that those up front are performing, but that's not really what's going on. They're leading us in our song service. And you say, well, I don't have a good song, or a good uh, song voice. It's, it's irrelevant. That, 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 we're not really, this is not a talent thing. The talent thing is whether you're up front. Okay, uh, and, and uh, you may be wondering why has no one ever asked me to help in that area? Well, maybe they sat next to you, and uh, and they know you know you have no business. Really pretty girl shouldn't help with the song service. You know, super smart guy shouldn't help with the song service. Awesome brother shouldn't help with the song service. Greatest girl in the church shouldn't help with the song service. Some some people should. And some people shouldn't. But we should all participate because we're singing to God, but we're also singing to one another. As, as we're in, and we're creating that environment. That, that environment of thankfulness and of happiness. And he's saying that's a, an important thing. Now, he makes a pivot here, and he's going to talk now about the home. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, the one another concept of singing to one another. Then he says, yeah, you know, we should really sort of be with each other. Submit to one another. And then he, he says, since I mentioned this, now let's talk about 
the, the, the family here a little bit. And he talks about the roles in the Christian home. And we're going to look at, at several of them. In verse 22, the wives. In verse 25, the husbands. In chapter 6, verse 1, the children. Remember, 6-1 wasn't there. This is just a letter. So he's going through. He's hitting the different components of the home. The wife, the husband, the children. He comes on down in verse 4, the fathers or the parents. And then he's going to talk a little bit more sort of about the home, but also about the workplace when he talks about slaves and masters. And we'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about the home. Okay, let's, let's read verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is an, uh, an important passage of Scripture that we go over with all the people in the church that are going to get married. Everybody goes through premarital counseling. Some of our young marrieds are out there, and it wasn't too long ago but before we did this. And maybe somebody did it with you, maybe I did it with you. But this passage of Scripture is talking about roles. It's saying this is how the family unit of people who are trying to live a godly life, this is what it should look like. Now let me say this in explanation. Every Christian home is based on these principles. But if we've been around Christianity for any length of time, we understand that even Christian homes can look and feel a little bit different. That's because... Every Christian home is made up of different people with different aptitude, different ability, different talent. Uh, and, and, and so you could have three or four different Christian marriages here that are all good Christian marriages that may actually be a little bit different from each other that are all based upon these principles. If you understand what I'm saying. It basically lays out a wife's role is this role. A husband's role is this role. And if these roles are filled, it will work and it will work quite well. The family unit in our society today is in desperate trouble. If I go back to the time... Uh, and I'm 58 years old to give you a little bit of a figuring uh, measurement here to the time when I was in grade school and junior high and in high school it was fairly unusual that someone's parents were divorced 
So now, what, what have we gone? A generation or a generation and a half? However that would be figured, I'm not sure. Because my children certainly are not that age. They're already grown and out of the house. So let's say a generation and a half to be a generous. In a generation and a half, I think it's probably at least 50% now of, of the children in any given classroom that their parents are no longer divorced. They're no longer married. They're divorced. It's, it, it's becoming more and more common that the home, the family unit, has, has sort of exploded. It's broken apart. And I'm not going to get into all the different uh, a, a, a reasons for that and that kind of thing. I'm simply going to say, man did not invent these things. God did. God gives some unbelievably good advice here of how to make it work. First of all, understanding that there are roles of how this should work. Wives have a role. Their role, it says here, is to be, in, in, uh, in verse 22, he says, to be respectful uh, or submissive. And, uh, and in verse 33, he says, respectful. So submit and respectful. As he says, the wife is in this role. This is a role that she plays. Now, you may, it may be very likely that any given marriage, you may have a marriage where the wife is actually smarter than the husband. What? That certainly is the case in my marriage. Yeah, I know what y'all are thinking out there anyway. It doesn't say the wife should be respectful if she's smarter than her, or, or if her husband's smarter than her. If these are roles. This, these are not judgments of character. They're roles of making a home work. Husbands, you say, well, the husbands are getting off easy. Oh, really? Whoa! Spend a little time, and we don't have time because all we've got to cover today. Really going into that passage, what is expected of a husband? It is to be like Christ. And what did Christ ultimately do? Gave His life. So don't get into this, well, the husband's got the easy role. The wife's got the hard role. The truth of the matter is, these are both incredibly hard roles. Being married is not easy. Some of you singles think, oh, I wish I could get married. My life would be full if I were married. And some of the marriages are saying, whoa! <laughs> Marriage is hard because I'm married to a sinner. <laughs> Front row right here, you know. <laughs> and she is too. So theoretically, this all works perfectly. <laughs> but we're not theoretically living. We're practically living. Okay? These are roles. This is how God wants it to look. He wants a husband that loves his wife like Christ loves the church. That's full hearted. That's full go. That's full life. 
People say, well, she's not the woman I married. Well, you're not the man she married either, ditto head. Man, when you get married, you say, you know, until death do his part, you have no idea what's going to happen between the time you said that until death do you part. (laughs) But he's laying out some expectations here. This is how the family unit should look. This is how the role should look. I don't think I've ever known a marriage that where people were doing this, that it was a bomb. I've known marriages that are better or worse. And just so I say it, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have a good marriage. Some people get really disillusioned. Like, why am I a Christian? Why isn't my marriage what it needs to be? Uh, Because you're a sinner and she's a sinner. Just because you're a marriage doesn't mean you have some great marriage. The church is made up of great marriages and marriages that are just (laughs) so-so. Now, if you want to have a better marriage, then I would urge you to be what God calls you to be. Don't be trying to straighten out your wife all the time. Well, you need to submit. Listen, you got about one time in a lifetime to play the submit card. <laughs> and, and the problem is most guys do it in the first month, you know. And, well, you, you, that was gone now. <laughs> Your job is not to be straightening out your spouse. Your job is to do your job. I bet you anything that if you love her the way she needs to be loved, that she'd be doing better at respecting you. So let's just focus on ourselves and not be focused on the other one, if you know what I'm saying. But then he goes on down. This is not just about the, the, the marriage. He talks about the children. He says, children. Now, we have children in the room. And I know the preteens do not want to be known as children. I hate that. But you are, whether you like it or not. Uh, you're, you may be less of a child than you were, uh, you know, five years ago. But, you know, you're still a child. Uh, children. We have children here that have uh, understanding. Isn't this a wonderful thought? Paul is writing this to the church, and and we're going through all this thing, and then he says, okay, and for the kids here, for the children, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Okay, children, basically, what's your role in the home? Obey. Obey. Children, obey your your parents, uh, for this is right. Honor. Your father and mother. Now, this is a quote from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Children's role in the home is to obey their parents and to honor their parents. <clears throat> That's not always an easy role. Sometimes your parents are, are being uh, sinful. Just being honest here. Sometimes your parents aren't being what they should be. It doesn't say obey your parents and honor your parents when they're really super parents. It says honor your parents. Obey your parents. That's your role in the home. You'll grow up and one day you'll be the parent. You'll figure out it's not quite as easy as you think it is now. Your parents need your respect. They need your obedience. And they need you to honor them in your attitude. That's what God calls you to be. This is how God's family works. Fathers. Or I like to say parents, but it does say fathers. 
Father is the head of the household. Now there's a positive and there's a negative here. Do not exasperate your children. Fathers, parents. The King James Version says provoke. Do not frustrate your children. Sometimes parents can be real boneheads. And do I get an amen with that? They said it very softly. <laughs> they, they said, you, ha- you have no idea. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children. Don't be the, the 19 rule thing. Okay? Kids, clean up your room. What does your room look like? Kids need to be having a quiet time. Well, how is yours? <laughs> Parents can frustrate their kids. Sometimes, What's wrong with my kids? You. <laughs> Why would he say don't do this? Because there's a high likelihood that you might. Fathers, you're going to have to really focus or this is what you're going to do. Parents, you're going to have to really focus or this is what you're going to do. Treating a 13, 14, 15-year-old teenager like a 5-year-old kid is going to get a reaction. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not exasperate your children. You say, well, they are not adults yet. Well, they're closer to being an adult than they are to being an infant. Parenting, honestly, in one sense, from the very beginning, you are teaching them to go away from you. (laughs) You're teaching them. You're teaching them to be more and more capable of taking care of their life. It starts with, can they wipe their own tail? We, we wouldn't expect an infant to ask for the toilet paper. Could I have some toilet paper, please? That's your job. Dig in. <laughs> but, but you know what? By the time they're in junior high... That's your business, not my business. You understand what I'm saying? We wouldn't expect a five-year-old to be able to, to do finances. But by the by, by time they're 15, 16, 17 years old, they've got to know how to count money. They've got to know how to balance a checkbook. Do people even have checkbooks anymore? I don't know. Right? That, 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 that's going out of style. Uh, you know, probably five years from now, no, a checkbook will be in a museum. You know, oh, a checkbook. Wow, that's a cool a checkbook. Isn't that a neat thing? Uh, but you know, that'll be gone. But you know, so you're teaching them all the way along. More and more independence. So I, I'm, I'm worried that my teenager's independent. You, you know what? When they're 25, you're going to hope they are. <laughs> Maybe the reason at 25 they're not independent is you didn't let them be independent at 15. And so they never learned how to be independent. And so now you're still doing everything for them. 
Well, I want to make sure they make good grades. Really? How about they make a D? Oh, my kid doesn't make D's. Maybe the best thing in that kid's life would be looking at a D on their report card and realize I need to get my tail in gear. They get busy, you know, doing your homework for your kids. I mean, guys, if they don't learn to do homework, they're going to have to learn how to do it somewhere, somehow. You do not help your kids at the end of the day to do their work for them. I've known kids that have got into major college and universities because their parents have written their entrance exam for them. I tell you how that feels when that kid is 30 or 35 is they are racked with insecurity because they've never done anything by themselves. They've never figured it out on their own. One of the best things that ever happened to me was I was recruited to go to Eastern Illinois to be on the wrestling team. But my grades were so sorry because I never paid attention. The wrestling coach said, well, the only way we can get you into Eastern Illinois, and this is Eastern Illinois. (laughs) We're not talking about Princeton here. Is you're going to have to go to summer school. So I graduated from high school, and two weeks later, I went to Eastern Illinois University to go to summer school. And I sat down there all summer, miserable. And you know what? I figured out it's about time that I start studying. Start time I start doing my homework. So start time I, I better start understanding that this is my life, and I better get busy doing it. Best thing that ever happened to me was having to pay the price for not getting my business done. I was smart enough to get the business done. I just didn't want to do it. But sometimes you have to pay the price, and you pay the price, and you learn a lesson, and it has an impact on your life. You know what I'm saying, parents? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Mothers, don't exasperate your children. I know I probably ticked off half of their audience here by now, but I don't really care what I have. You gotta listen to me on this, people. Some of you are way too tuned in to their performance. You need to be a lot more tuned in to their character than you are in whether they got an A or whether they got a B or whether they made the cheerleading squad. Who cares when you're 45 who the cheerleading squad was? Who cares who won the conference championship? When you're 45, nobody knows. Nobody cares, really. Quit majoring in the minors, parents, and major in character. That's what is going to last anyway. So you got the negative and the positive here, okay? Don't exasperate your children. Rather, or instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So you have the negative, don't do this. The positive, do that. You understand what I'm saying? In, in the parents. So you've got the wives, you've got the husbands, you've got the children, you've got the fathers or the parents. Now, the slaves and the masters. In the context of that day, they had slaves and masters. Obviously, we don't have that today. But we do have the workplace that encompasses most of these concepts. You have to understand what I'm saying. Let's read it together. Slaves or employees... 
Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward anyone or everyone for whatever good he does and whether he's a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So, now, in the context of that day, you had slaves and masters that were Christians. So this, this could likely be a continuation of the Christian household that he's talking about. And there's a lot of good things there. But let's apply it primarily for our purposes today to the workplace or to the uh, 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 school, if, if we will look at it from the context of being students. He says a lot of good things here about how to be a good employee and how to be a good employer and how to interact with your boss or how to interact with your uh, employer. He says you need to work hard. You need to be honest. You need to uh, do a day's uh, work for a day's pay, is, is what he's saying here. You don't need to be stealing things. You know, a lot of these things, uh, that if we would apply them to our concept of what it means to have a job, we would be a better person on the job, if you understand what I'm saying. People would be able to look at us and say, you know, that guy, that girl, uh, there's something just a little bit different about them. And what they should be zeroing in on here is a work ethic. Now, notice the work ethic that he's talking about is not because you really enjoy work in and of itself, but that you understand that it is the Lord that you are ultimately serving, not the boss. That ultimately, your energy and, and your focus is not because you're just wanting to go up the corporate ladder. It's because, although you may want to go up the corporate ladder, and that's not wrong. He's saying so, that your, your motive, why, the why is important here. He's saying you should be behaving at the job or at the workplace as this, because you're thinking like a child of God at the workplace. You get that? You're not just a Christian at home and a Christian at church. He's saying you're also a Christian in the work environment, the workplace environment, where you work, who you work for, and those kind of things. Now, we have people here that are bosses. Okay? You have people that work under you. There's some unbelievably good advice here about how you treat people that work with you or work under you. You treat them with respect. You treat them the way Christ treated you. You need to ask yourself here, if you're a supervisor of any kind in the workplace environment that you work in, do people love working for you? In the context of the church... I've been blessed over the years to have people that work under me in the church. I have tried to make it my business that they want to work for me 
and that they appreciate the kind of workplace environment that I create. Now, you can probably find somebody said, nah, you know, I think Marty with a real horse is rear end. Hey, man, fine. I, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I've always done uh, the best of what's right. But this gives us a good idea of how we should want to treat those that we supervise or those that we lead, if you understand what I'm saying. We're a Christian every day. We're a Christian at the home, in our marriage, with our children, with our parents. We're a Christian where we work. Whether we're the boss or whether we're the employee, either way. Unbelievable passage of Scripture. Now you say, well, Marty, we're all the way into chapter 6. <laughs> well, we had to, to to sort of get everything. Sometimes uh, where they, uh, they divide it and things doesn't always go the way that I wanted to divide it. Uh, or the way that Raphael wanted to divide it, since he's the one that divided it. But in this case, we want to get all the family and, and workplace kind of stuff all together in one context. Now, I'm going to be gone next week. We have the uh, Southwest Elders Retreat. Uh, I'll be down in San Diego. And... Uh, 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 Alex is going to be preaching next week and he'll pick up here with chapter 6 verse 10 and go uh, through the rest uh, of the book there. Hope you guys have really enjoyed our contextual uh, study here of Ephesians. I have enjoyed it a ton. Uh, I, I hope you have gotten some good stuff out of it as well. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Let's have a great day. You're dismissed.